Hello and welcome to Pocket Therapist. I'm Dr. Adam Moore, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm going to give you an inside look at how change works, tips on improving happiness, and the best path to better relationships. Here we go. I've been a marriage and family therapist for 14 years now. That is a long time, you guys. And I would say that if I think really carefully about it, the most common theme out of all the therapy I've done with couples in the past 14 years has been the theme of betrayal. For the vast majority of couples I've worked with, one or both partners has felt betrayed, usually by each other and often by other people prior to the relationship starting. This could be a former spouse or partner, it could be parents or siblings or even supposed friends. Once you've been betrayed, cheated on, lied to, or taken advantage of, this massive question is planted in your mind. What is the optimal relationship strategy from here on out? In other words, what am I supposed to do? Think about it. You might have entered your relationship with extreme optimism, the belief that this person would never hurt you. They would never betray you. You could implicitly and infinitely trust them. And then intentionally or not, they did something to damage that trust. You now have a terrible choice to make. Do I continue to trust someone who I just discovered broke my trust? And if so, to what extent? Or now, do I have to assume I can't trust them ever again until they have proven beyond doubt that they can be trusted? And what if I trust again, only to be fooled one more time? Do I just throw my marriage away, assuming I got a bad apple? Or do I hold off, be patient, and see if maybe the person I love can change their ways and become a trustworthy partner again? I deal with this question every single day of my life, and I've seen just about every solution you can imagine attempted by people who are trying to do two things. One, salvage a relationship that they at least at one point believed in and that they've invested in, and two, protect themselves from future harm with someone that they no longer are sure that they can trust. I've actually thought a lot about the optimal strategy for this situation since it's my job to counsel people on how to proceed when real hurt and real happiness are at stake. You see, human behavior is way too complicated to just say that there is an optimal strategy that will work for everyone, of course. Certainly there are sociopaths, for example, in the world, and some people inadvertently marry them. Also true is the fact that some people value their own personal safety and protection over possible future happiness in relationships. They might go by the old adage, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I will never trust you or anyone else in the entire universe for the rest of my natural life. You know, something like that. But what if there were a strategy that was most likely to bring you and anyone you try to relate with repeatedly the best chance at happiness and shared joy? Well, I may be one step closer than I was just a week ago to finding what that strategy is, and I'd like to share with you what I've learned. But I can't. No, I'm just kidding. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You remember that movie, A Beautiful Mind, starring Russell Crowe, about a brilliant mathematician named John Nash, who was also tortured by paranoid schizophrenia? Well, John Nash is probably most well-known for his contributions to game theory. And I want to take a minute and talk about game theory as it applies to the complexities of marriage interactions, especially as they relate to forgiveness and trust. Now, I'm not the first person to think of this. There is a 2011 book called Spousonomics about game theories that applies to marriage, but I don't read books, so I have no idea what's in it. So this is my own personal take. 
Competitive game theory is the study of strategies that people or institutions employ when they're interacting with other people or institutions and competing for resources. So game theory is all about trying to make sense of how decisions are made when you take into account that two parties are trying to win while in competition with each other. First, we need to quickly talk about the prisoner's dilemma. The prisoner's dilemma goes like this. Two people are arrested for crimes that will land them in prison for one year each. But the police suspect that each of them played a part in a more significant crime with a more serious punishment, life in prison. They just don't have any evidence. Both prisoners are placed in individual holding cells and given the same deal. If you both stay silent, you will each get one year in prison for the minor crime that you committed. But if you cooperate with us and turn on the other person, implicating them in the more serious crime, we will let you go free, and the other person gets life in prison. If you both turn on each other and rat each other out for the more serious crime, you each get 10 years in prison. Got it? If you keep your mouth shut, you'll either get one year in prison or life, depending on what the other person does. If you turn on the other prisoner, you'll either get zero prison time or 10 years behind bars. When you have this single interaction and you don't have any way of communicating with the other prisoner, the smartest strategy for personal survival is to turn on the other person. Because no matter what happens, you will not get life in prison. But game theory suggests that the optimal strategy for both people at the same time is to cooperate with each other, keep quiet, and take that one-year sentence each, avoiding the 10-year sentence and life in prison. Both will still serve time, but it's the best strategy for both considered together. Except that this doesn't work when you don't know the other person well enough to know that you can trust them. So people tend to choose the self-preservation strategy, as they should. But what happens if you have an infinite game of unending interactions, and the goal isn't just self-preservation, but to optimize the experience of both people? Then things change quite a bit. In 1980, Robert Axelrod, a game theorist, held a tournament where people could submit strategies to compete in repeated prisoner's dilemma simulations and try to find the optimal strategy. Between this and his follow-up tournament, something really interesting was discovered. First, we'll change the game up a little. Instead of trying to avoid prison time, participants were hoping to earn points. If they cooperate with each other, they each get two points. If one tries to cooperate and the other betrays, the betrayer gets three points, because cheaters do occasionally prosper in the short term, and the cooperator gets zero. If they both betray each other, they both get one point for self-preservation. The only time you get no points in the game is to keep trusting someone who keeps betraying you. Again, the individual strategy that makes the most sense is to keep betraying the other, or in case of marriage, this could also be withholding trust or staying emotionally disconnected. It's the only way to minimize the damage the other can cause you. But that's not why we got married, is it? Most of us knew that being married to another person wouldn't always be puppies and rainbows leading to briefcases full of non-sequential unmarked $100 bills. We knew the other person would let us down sometimes, and we knew we wouldn't always be reliable ourselves. We all have to access some forgiveness in order to keep these relationships alive. So going back to Axelrod's experiment, strategies were tested against each other. Here's the strategy that worked best over the long haul. Participants started out cooperating in the first round with every other player they confronted. And assuming the other player cooperated as well, the winning strategy would continue to cooperate, landing each player two points every round. But if this player was betrayed by another player during one round, it would turn 
to a non-cooperative strategy for self-protection, since it appeared that the other player was no longer willing to cooperate until the other player chose to cooperate again, at which point our winning strategy would immediately switch back to cooperating to share points again. This strategy, tit for tat, was the winner in so many of the scenarios the most consistently productive for sharing success between the player using the strategy and the other players. Start out cooperating, if you get betrayed, stop cooperating until the other player cooperates again, and start cooperating again. This strategy's biggest downfall, however, was that if two players were using the same strategy, once a person defected or betrayed the other, both players would get stuck taking turns punishing the other player's betrayal from the previous round, and both would not get optimal scores. This is what happened in simulations where error was introduced. In other words, the simulation would run each strategy, but occasionally make a mistake and do something out of character for the strategy, something unpredictable. This error in the simulation would be kind of like saying something really rude in an argument with your spouse at 2 in the morning because you're overly tired and you immediately regret it. In order to adjust for this error in the simulations, tit for tat was modified. Instead of going straight to a non-cooperation stance after the first betrayal, it would allow for two betrayals in a row, just to accommodate for the possible error that maybe the other strategy accidentally didn't cooperate when it generally intended to. This modified approach is what I think is the right strategy for marriage in a sizable majority of relationships and situations. Let me show you how it works in the real world. The strategy goes like this. First, you assume that both of you are working towards self-satisfaction and relational health. Each of you individually and the relationship wins if you are trying to maximize benefit to everyone rather than just trying to make sure you get what you want. And studies show that we can generally trust most people to behave in this way. It's the relative few who don't play by these rules that give humans a bad name. So trust is key. Second, always start with cooperation. Don't be the first one to pull away or emotionally cut off or refuse to take risks. Third, and this is crucial, when the other person breaches trust, you do need to respond. Set boundaries. Take an emotional break from the chaos. Let them know what they've done is not okay and isn't something you're willing to deal with in the marriage. If what your spouse has done has seriously damaged trust, expect that they will be the first to take steps toward reconciliation or change. Fourth, Actually, let's pause. Can I tell you where I see people getting stuck in infinite loops in therapy? Right here. At the spot where the offending partner is legitimately trying to make amends, and instead of risking trust again, the offended partner holds back. I get it. No one likes to get hurt more than once in the same way. It makes us feel stupid. But what happens is that some people basically try to have their partner prove that there is no way that they will hurt them again before they recommit to cooperation in the marriage. In the game theory simulations, this is similar to the grudger strategy. Grudger always cooperates until you betray it, and then it never cooperates again. With the grudger strategy, once trust is lost, it cannot be regained. But grudger doesn't fare very well. In fact, it's the worst performing of all the so-called nice strategies for the Prisoner's Dilemma tournament. And I know spouses aren't saying, I'll never trust you again, but they are saying something similar, which is, I'll only trust you once I'm 100% sure that you will never hurt me again, which is basically the same thing because you cannot know if you'll be betrayed in the future. You just can't. Now, I'm not saying to just trust infinitely and cooperate no matter what. That's actually also a bad strategy and doesn't fare very well in game theory interaction simulations. What I am saying is this, and this is the fourth component of the strategy. When you see the other person making attempts to cooperate again, take a risk. Assume they mean it. Try to trust. 
Make a real effort. Might you get hurt again? Yes. But statistically, you are much, much more likely to reconcile and have a stable marriage again if you jump on opportunities to cooperate than if you wait for proof that you won't get hurt. But what if your spouse just gets sneakier and better at hiding what they did to hurt you in the past and keeps doing it behind your back and you think you have a great relationship, but then you find out you've been deceived down the road? I get that question all the time in therapy. Here's the deal. If you're happy in your marriage, that happiness is real and no one can take it away from you, even if that happiness is founded on another person's lie. I'm not saying you won't be sad or hurt or even traumatized if you find out you've been deceived again, but they can't take away the real happiness you felt during your marital interactions. That's yours to keep. If the other person was lying, then they messed with their own happiness, not yours. If you let them rewrite your past and make you question whether or not what you had was even real, then they've destroyed something very special about you, your freedom to decide if you're happy. Don't let them do that, please. So for your own happiness sake and for the possible growth of the relationship, even in the face of past betrayal, do what you can to re-engage and try to cooperate when you see the other person trying. That's the fourth component. And even if they keep betraying you and the marriage ends, you will have maximized your own personal benefit from the relationship compared to playing a 100% safe strategy that doesn't offer much growth potential for you or the marriage. You can use all that growth and goodwill in a future relationship if that's what you want. And the fifth element of the strategy is simply to continue to cooperate as much as you can, even trying to forgive or look past some hurts, assuming that perhaps they were done in error or ignorance or just basic lame humanity. Then disengage and set boundaries when the other person betrays trust in a significant way. Let them know what you expect for reconciliation, and the moment you see even an attempt at fixing things, jump back in and cooperate to the extent that you feel you're capable. Now look, I know that it's not this simple in real life. I know that hurts are deep. I know the lies can be extensive. I know that some of you are married to people who legitimately are never going to get better. I know all that. But I'm talking about a strategy that works in the majority of cases. I'm talking about your default strategy. Start here. Use this method until it's obvious this method won't work anymore. But even this modified tit-for-tat can help bad relationships end. If you keep getting betrayed and the other person isn't really willing to cooperate to fix things, then you just keep getting further apart. Your boundaries get more serious and eventually things fully fall apart. In the meantime, you give yourself the best shot at having both spouses and the relationship itself benefit from as much mutual cooperation as you can muster. And repeated interactions for mutual benefit is the stuff relationship dreams are made of. Sometimes I'll be doing the dishes and my wife walks over and starts doing them with me. And I'm basically in heaven because I know how much she absolutely loathes doing the dishes. And sometimes I watch a movie that I so, so do not want to watch and I don't love because I love my wife. And I don't know if she's in heaven while we're watching the movie, but I know she's at least content and that's a good thing. And by the way, as I was thinking about the content for this episode, I remembered that this strategy might have already been articulated like 2,000 years ago. Jesus once said, Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. In other words, do no harm, but you don't have to let yourself be taken advantage of either. If you're interested in learning more about this, I got a lot of my information from a game that you can find online called The Evolution of Trust. Just Google it. It's totally worth 30 minutes of your time. My dear friends and listeners, I gotta say, you're so awesome. I keep seeing 
more and more new people joining uh, the ranks of listeners to the podcast, which just warms my heart. It's so awesome. That means that some of you are actually out there sharing the podcast with others. I know I've gotten positive reviews. You've done so many nice things. So please, if you have uh, gotten anything out of this podcast, please share it with somebody else. Please leave a review on the podcast app of your choice. Uh, Give me five stars if you enjoy it that much. Thank you for everything. I'll continue to pump these out for you because I think it's fun and uh, we're obviously doing some good here. So we'll see you next time.